Welcome to journeywithjesus.net, a weekly webzine for the global church. I'm Debbie Thomas. My essay this week is entitled, What is Truth? It's based upon the lectionary readings for November 21st, 2021. At this point, it has become a cliche to say we live in a post-truth era. We don't have to dig deep to find the headlines that affirm this grim reality. Whether we're talking about politics, climate change, the COVID-19 pandemic, or critical race theory, a quick Google search will yield zingers like the death of truth, the assault on truth, notes on falsehood, and our post-truth world. We are steeped in a culture of blatant lies, sly exaggerations, doctored images, wild conspiracy theories, and fake news. Objective facts for all intents and purposes no longer exist or matter. The true is false, the false is true, and anything can mean anything. What does this sobering reality have to do with the lectionary? Well, this week the church celebrates the reign of Christ, a liturgical hinge between the long season after Pentecost and the beginning of Advent. This week we pause to reflect on the meaning of Christ's reign over the church, the world, and our lives. What kind of king is Jesus? What does his rule look and feel like? What does it mean to live under his kingship? To guide our reflection for this climactic Sunday, the lectionary gives us a rather odd gospel reading. Do we see Jesus in his kingly glory, transfigured and dazzling on a mountaintop? Do we watch him rise from the waters of baptism with heaven thundering in his ears? Do we witness one of his more spectacular miracles? No, our king doesn't appear in any of those majestic guises. Instead, the Gospel of John offers us a picture of Jesus at his physical and emotional worst. Arrested, disheveled, harassed, hungry, abandoned, sleep-deprived, and standing before the notoriously cruel Pontius Pilate for questioning. If I were going to write Jesus into a kingly scene, this would not be the one I'd write. But here's the astonishing reality. If there is any story about Jesus that can smack all smugness out of us, all arrogance, all gleefulness, all scorn, surely this one has to be it. This week, our king is an arrested, falsely accused criminal, a dead man walking. His chosen path to glory is humility, surrender, brokenness, and loss. But what does any of this have to do with our current crisis of truth and untruth? Consider the exchange that takes place between Jesus and Pilate. Are you a king? Pilate asks Jesus repeatedly, annoyed perhaps that a bedraggled peasant is taking up his valuable time on a tense and busy weekend in the city. You say that I am a king, Jesus answers cryptically, implying both that Pilate's question is the wrong one and that Pilate's assumptions about power and kingship are irrelevant to the ways of God. Then Jesus continues, For this I came into the world, to testify to the truth. Everyone who belongs to the truth listens to my voice. Pilate's response echoes down to us across the ages, a question to end all questions. What is truth? We'll never know if he asks out of contempt or curiosity, hunger or anger. But it doesn't matter, Jesus doesn't respond. That is, he doesn't respond with words. He doesn't engage Pilate in a philosophical dialogue or offer the governor a pithy bumper sticker. Instead, he embodies his reply with the whole of his life. You're looking at it, his silence implies. 
You're looking at the truth. I am the truth. In other words, truth isn't an instrument, a weapon, or a slogan we can smack on a refrigerator magnet. The truth is Jesus, the life of Jesus, the way of Jesus, the love of Jesus. He himself is truth's most complex and complete embodiment. What does it mean in our post-truth era to worship the king of truth? What does it mean to belong to the truth in a culture that increasingly denies truth's validity? Perhaps most importantly, how can we bear witness to embodied truth, complex truth, truth as a story of birth and life and death and resurrection in a world that prefers sound bites, tweets, and clever New Yorker cartoons? As I reflect on this gospel passage, it seems to me that one of the most urgent tasks facing the church on this Christ the King Sunday is forging a robust, urgent, gracious, and trustworthy relationship to the truth. If Jesus came to testify to the truth, if he is the truth, if he is the king of truth, then what do we, his subjects, owe our king? What does loyalty to truth look like? Well, if truth is king, then fake news is not. If truth is king, then self-deception, however expedient or attractive, is not. If truth is king, then lazy relativism is not. If truth is king, then distorting inconvenient facts for our own political, racial, social, cultural, religious, or economic comfort is not. Even as I type these words, I'm aware of the church's long and shameful tradition of using the truth to consolidate and abuse its own power. Too often we have excelled at using truth to colonize, enslave, reject, and dehumanize those we conveniently call our others. But that's not the kind of truth Jesus calls us to belong to. The truth he embodies in his life, death, and resurrection is not instrumental or self-aggrandizing in any way. It does not serve to bolster his own power and authority. Quite the opposite, it humbles him. It empties him. It takes away his life. As far as I can tell, Jesus doesn't privilege any version of truth that sidesteps humility, surrender, and sacrificial love. He doesn't secure his own prosperity at the expense of other people's suffering. He doesn't allow holy ends to justify debased means. He doesn't make honesty optional when the truth strikes him as inconvenient. And he never aligns himself with brute, dishonest power to guarantee his own success. This is our king. Can we stand for the truth as he does? Can we belong to the truth as he does? Can we tell and keep telling the beautiful, hard, cutting, joy-filled, pain-filled, powerfully undeniable stories we know to be true about this Jesus, this gospel Jesus whose very identity is truth and whose best expression of power is surrender? Soon we will enter into Advent, a season of waiting, longing, and listening. Soon we will walk into the expectant darkness, waiting for the light to dawn, for the truth to reveal itself, for the first cries of a vulnerable baby to redefine kingship, authority, and power forever. Yes, we have good reasons to fear the erosion of truth, but we are not a people bereft of hope. The king who reigns will not abandon us. Truth will survive. It has died and returned to life already. The truth lives, and we belong to him. For Books This Week, Dan reviews Together, The Healing Power of Human Connection in a Sometimes Lonely World by Vivek Murthy. 
Two years ago, my wife and I sold our house and home of 25 years in Northern California and moved 500 miles south to San Diego. Whereas we had gained a lot of financial equity in that house, by moving south, we lost our store of social equity. This was badly exacerbated when just two months after moving to San Diego, the mandatory shutdowns because of the COVID pandemic began. Having lost 25 years of friendships up north, it was nearly impossible to meet any new friends in San Diego. In the language of Vivek Murthy, we had lost our social connections. Murthy graduated from Harvard University and then earned his MD and MBA at Yale. He then served as the 19th and 21st Surgeon General of the United States under appointments by Presidents Obama and Biden. In 2014, he imagined that as a nation's top doc, he would address a familiar litany of national epidemics, obesity, smoking, mental health, heart disease, and the opioid crisis. He started off by doing what he calls a listening tour all across the country. To his surprise, he discovered a recurring topic that ran like a dark thread through many of the more obvious issues that people brought to his attention, an epidemic of loneliness. Loneliness can be studied as both the cause and an effect of health problems. Some studies suggested it is as harmful as smoking. Murthy's listening tour also taught him another thing, the healing power of human connection. So the first part of this book studies the causes and effects of loneliness, while the second half explores the process of connection that each of us individually must navigate in our own lives. He brings together a broad array of diverse material, including social scientific studies, powerful anecdotes from his own listening tour, and much to his credit, examples from his own family life. The tone of the book exudes empathy and compassion. Social connections, as Murthy, stands out as a largely unrecognized and underappreciated force for addressing many of the critical problems we're dealing with, both as individuals and as a society. For films this week, Dan reviews Summer of Soul, or When the Revolution Could Not Be Televised. While the highly mythologized Woodstock Musical Festival banged away in upstate New York, August 15th to 18th, 1969, just 100 miles south, back down in Harlem, an equally epic cultural moment took place, but went largely unnoticed and forgotten. The Harlem Cultural Cultural Festival took place from June 29th to August 24th. It featured the biggest names in black music, Nina Simone, Stevie Wonder, B.B. King, David Ruffin, The Fifth Dimension, The Staple Singer, Sly and the Family Stone, Gladys Knight and the Pips, etc. The six free concerts were attended by some 300,000 black people. The festival was actually filmed, but the 40 hours of videotapes languished in a basement for 50 years because television and film companies were not interested. Amir Questlove Thompson has now turned those tapes into his dictatorial debut. This movie is so many wonderful things. An act of historical retrieval from something like blatant erasure, a moment of music history, a celebration of black culture, an affirmation of gospel music in and by the black community, and a political statement in a pivotal year in American history. Summer of Soul premiered at the Sundance Festival, where it won the Grand Jury Prize and the Audience Award. When I watched the film on Hulu, it had a 99% rating on Rotten Tomatoes based on 181 reviews. And lastly, for poetry, a poem for the Feast of Christ the King by Pamela Cranston. 
See how this infant boy lifted himself down into his humble crush and laid his tender glove of skin against splintered wood, found refuge in a rack of straw, home that chilly dawn in sweetest silage, those shrunken stalks. This outcast king lifted himself high upon his savage cross, extended the regal banner of his bones, draping himself upon his throne. His battered feet, his wounded hands, not fastened there by nails, but sewn by the strictest thorn of love. Thank you for joining us at journeywithjesus.net for November 21st, 2021. I'm Debbie Thomas.